Alright, testing. One, two, three. I'm looking at this bad kitty right now eating the Airbnb dried flowers. Charlie, get here. Hey, go. Welcome back to Bad Kitty, an advice podcast where climbers can anonymously submit crazy stories, funny encounters, and unhinged questions about the social dynamics of climbing. We're talking dating, relationships, AITAs, or am I the asshole type stories, ethical conundrums, or anything you've wanted to ask but haven't known who to ask. Bad Kitty is here for all your climbing and climbing adjacent inquiries. Rest assured, your submissions are 100% anonymous. There's a Google Doc that collects only your question, so I can't see anything else on my end. And if you've got something you want to ask, just know that your identity stays with you and only you. Today we are kicking off episode two, and I'm really excited to welcome my first guest. His name is Tristan Chen. Meow. How do we know each other, Tristan? Uh, through climbing in Colorado, I think. Yeah. Tristan is also from the East Coast. Uh, we've known of each other for a while since we were both kids, but grew up, started climbing together in Colorado a bunch. Saw him again in the gym and was like trolling for sport climbing partners. So we've been climbing together since. Hanging out. Yep. Thanks for joining me on the Bag Kitty Pod. I've always had a lot of respect for your climbing ability and style, but I also appreciate your opinions and your willingness to put them out there. You've got a great YouTube channel for anyone who's interested. It's T Chen Rock. There's uh, some good content to dig into on there, but we have a lot of great listener questions to dive into today, and I want to make sure we have enough time to get to them all. So we're going to kick it off. This climber writes in and says, I grab chains at the end of sport climbs before clipping them. That doesn't count. And if I do clip the anchor first, I only clip one before hanging and then, cl- and then clipping the other. I've been told it's not a clean send unless you clip both anchors. But I'm wondering what the pro climbing community thinks. Do you get the send even if you grab the anchors? No. What about routes where you top out and untie? Where does the climb end? So if the climb tops out and you untie and walk off and you don't, top out, then that doesn't count. I feel like almost every sport climb, the top out is optional, if not impossible. Wait, 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 wait say that again. If, if, the, if, you, if you do a sport climb and you top it out and you untie. That is the best way to do it. That's, that's, the that's best definitely way. the best. Yeah, yeah, okay. If, it's, if you can top it out. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, like you see pictures of, I mean, I've seen pictures of, like, Ethan Pringle, for instance, like, sitting on top of Jumbo, like, on top of the cliff that Jumbo loves on. Yeah. Like, sitting there, like, celebrating. Yeah. And that's, like, obviously the coolest. Fairly, uh, yes, best style, but fairly uncommon, just to be clear. Normally, most people get to the anchors, they clip the anchors without grabbing the anchors, and that's it. To be clear here. Grabbing the anchors and clipping them, that doesn't count. Yeah, does not count if you grab the anchors. In no way, shape, or form should people be grabbing the anchors. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, it's probably fine if you're just like standing on a ledge and you just like grab one to clip it. That's yeah. probably fine. But if you're like, you know, if you're still climbing and you have to grab a 
the anchor's declipid, then I would say that doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count. But it does count if you clip just one of the anchors. Oh, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, that's chill. Why is that? I, because you're still clipped to something, I would say. Yeah. I have always questioned that that particular one. I mean, I've, I've done it. I've just clipped one anchor because it's kind of what everyone else does. Yeah. But why shouldn't people clip both? <laughs> it would probably stem from just like a safety thing. You know, you need to be like opposite and opposed. Yeah. So you clip both ends or both both the quick draws there. But I feel like it doesn't really matter. And if you want to nullify the argument, you could just put a single quick draw at the top for your anchor. That's true. Moral of this story is you can clip one anchor, not two, for whatever reason. Yeah, I also don't think you should make a habit out of just grabbing the, the chains at the end. Yeah, uh, never grab the chains. They say it's way more satisfying to them to just grab the anchor. Well, it doesn't count. That doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry about that one. I'm not sorry. All right, next question my ex-boyfriend just broke up with me and while we were together told me I could keep his black diamond haul bag. And then when we broke up, he told me that I could sell it. But now he's asking me for it back. What should I do? Morally or? <laughs> I mean, I think that you probably should give the bag back since really? they're asking. Yeah, they're asking for it back. Just because, I mean, <clears throat> you know, in, in breakup situations like that, feelings change over time. So Yeah, but he said he told her when we broke up, he told me that I could sell it. Meaning I guess it also depends on how long it's been since his breakup. Yeah. If it's been like a week, then you definitely should give it back. If it's been like a year, then you're probably fine. Yeah. I think that if he told her that she could sell it, aka she could keep it. How would you she... feel if we just swapped the genders on this and we started referring to it as she said he could keep it? Does that change your opinion on this? Does not change my opinion. If okay. the genders were swapped, if... if I just want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I think if this was swapped, let's say girlfriend, boyfriend, breakup, the girlfriend gives the boyfriend her haul bag and says, you can sell this and do whatever you want, and then comes back and says, I actually want the haul bag back. I think it's up to the other person, man or woman, their, their discretion to decide if they want to give it back. Going back to the original genders, the original question here, I think she should keep it because, again, she said that she's going to use it. Oh, she's going to use it also? Oh, yeah. Just keep it probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, unless you think there's a chance of getting back together in the future, then you should probably give it back and be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And then bat your eyelashes at them. <laughs> Don't bank on there being a chance that you guys get back together. Take the haul bag and run. That's what I say. What are your thoughts on emphasizing climbing style? The climber asks, I think this is something that should be discussed more. There is so much discussion about climbing hard grades, but what about climbing in a unique or aesthetically pleasing way? Oh, just like climbing beautifully on the wall? Mm -hmm. I think that it's a positive thing. I think it's really good. I recently had an experience where I was back home and I climbed with someone that I hadn't seen for a while. And it was someone that uh, grew up on my same team. And I remember watching them when I was younger and thinking that they climbed beautifully. And then having that same experience now, even though I climb, I don't know, at the same grade or slightly harder than they, than they do. But I remember watching them and thinking that they climbed beautifully and that they were moving on the wall like a dancer even or like flowing water. And it was just very awe-inspiring. I do think it is sort of an under-emphasized aspect. It's kind of hard to judge, especially in videos 
it can be a little bit difficult. Sometimes they get cut up or chopped to pieces just as edits go. So it can be a little bit hard to see that. But when you see it in person, I think it can be very inspirational. Mm-hmm. I think it's more common to see in sport climbers than boulders because boulders, I do think it is kind of a more dynamic style, much more strength-based. Whereas sport climbing, you do need to be more energy conservative on the wall, which I think lends itself to being flowy mm-hmm. or climbing in a more good looking style. Yeah. I mean, like my mom is the only person I ever hear compliment my movement on the wall. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> what about, this is sort of an unrelated question, but what about climbing? Okay, I'm asking you this because even before we started climbing together consistently, I always considered your boulder problems, the boulders that you climb are stylistically impressive from, a, from an aesthetic point of view, from a historical point of view. What are your thoughts on choosing climbs based on style? It is important to choose climbs on more than just points. You can pick, like every now and then, you can choose a climb just based on points. Like, oh, I want to, it's about time I like leveled up or I'm looking for like a harder project or something. So you can choose something based on grade that way. But I think it is underrated to pick climbs based on aesthetics or just choosing ones that are more inspirational to you. And I think it is also important to sort of get off the beaten path a little bit. Like a lot of people will just do like the most repeated version or the most repeated climbs in an area, which, you know, can be kind of fun to like go to an area. If you're just trying to sample a little bit, you can, you can just like pick the the popular climbs, but I think it is also good to sort of hit the deep tracks in the area, or I mean, particularly in your local spots to hit the deep tracks and go for things off the beaten path. Maybe something that hasn't been done for a while or just something that you find inspirational that maybe isn't like the most done climb. Yeah. A climb that stands out. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, like, my friend Austin Purdy, I think, is very good at doing that. Uh, Mind Emotion is a, a V14 in Elkland, and that hadn't been done since... I think it had been done by, like, Dave Graham, Daniel, and Matty Hong. And then Austin had the first ascent in, like, six years, six, seven years when we did it. And that was, like, 2018 or something. And then now it's, like, one of the most done 14s in the state. Mm-hmm. And Austin is actually quite good at picking climbs out like that. He will very routinely be the first person to do a climb in several years, and then it will pop off afterwards. Yeah. Trend setting. Yeah. So the Olympics. Tristan, what do you think of the Olympics and rock climbing? I mean, I, I kind of like it. I think it's fun to see climbing move up in the world and have some more general attention from a normal person audience. I think it's kind of good to see the sport expanding and coming into its own a little bit. Like I, I actually, I like the Olympics. I even just like not the climbing sports. Like I enjoy all of the sports that are in the Olympics. And I think it's a good way to bring attention to a lot of like underseen sports or like underemphasized ones. But I think that it's, it's effect on climbing, I think is both good and bad. And I think Part of the negative aspect is that it's really overemphasizing comp climbing or competition climbing. Yeah. Like if you're a climber, a young climber who starts out in climbing, your automatic dream is to go to the Olympics, not necessarily going to climb El Cap or going to travel and go to these big, you know, crazy distant places. I wouldn't say that's true across the board. I think there's still a lot of youth climbers who have those outdoor aspirations but many more have Olympic aspirations. And it, it, uh, it makes climbing into just a sport and not a lifestyle. Yeah. 
I think that's a good point. I think it's also taken a lot of the air out of outdoor climbing, which I, I mean, personally, I enjoy outdoor climbing more. And I think it's, I mean, it's more accessible to more people. And I think it's, you know, this is rock climbing, not plastic climbing. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that comp climbing and plastic climbing is no less climbing than rock climbing. It's just a different form of climbing. So to say that plastic climbing is not real rock climbing, it's not real rock climbing in the sense you're not on granite or sandstone, like actual rock, but it's still climbing. It's still motion and fluidity and, and understanding of your body fitting into certain patterns and sequences in order to get to the top. But that emphasis on the top is so intense in competitions and that's all you're ever thinking about versus the out, you know, outdoor climbing. I feel like this is the most cliche thing, but it's obviously it's about the top as well, but it's also about that more patient, slower process of what it means to work a boulder problem or a route or something like bigger and, and, and longer in a time sense. Yeah. I just feel like the climbing, not necessarily the rock climbing and not necessarily comp climbing is more than just the Olympics. Like I think, I mean, like personally, like I haven't taken competition seriously or really competed since I was like 18, like since I finished youth, the youth circuit basically. And I think that with the Olympics, so much attention is given to it that even like generational talents are sort of being lost to competition climbing. Like Sean Bailey recently just didn't qualify for the Olympics and then started climbing outside and he did lucid in like a few tries mm -hmm. or like he did it very quickly, which I mean, I knew the guy was strong, but I wasn't expecting him to start climbing like this well, this quickly. Mm -hmm. But do you think he, he wouldn't have been able to do lucid that quickly if he didn't have the comp background? He maybe wouldn't have done it as quickly because he would have done it like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> also, I just, <laughs> you stopped competing and you're 18. I stopped competing and I was 27. Are we just the crusty, like, outdoor climbers complaining about comp climbing in the Olympics right now? I mean, potentially, but, like, I, I mean, like, I personally still enjoy the Olympics. I do, yeah. I just think that it, it both pushes us forward and holds us back. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I think the Olympics are great. I think it's true progress and growth. I also think progress and growth aren't necessarily good things all the time. They don't have good outcomes 100% of the time. But it's inevitable, progress and growth. I, I, I want to bring up that metaphor you mentioned earlier. Tristan and I kind of talked about this in the car. And it's, it's kind of like, what, what did you say about swimming? Like, uh, imagine if, if all swimming was catered towards the Olympics. Like if fifth grade swimming at your local pool was immediately like kid starts and it's immediately like okay like you got to get prepped for the olympics and it's someone with still like water wings on <laughs> right like kids aren't learning how to swim from a safety perspective or practical perspective or just like oh like it's totally natural for human beings to swim and so we should learn that movement and how to swim it's it would be treated as like an olympic dream or a sport right from the get-go and it's actually really cool to think about humans and their natural tendency towards climbing. I mean, babies, if you put them on a pull-up bar, they'll just hang there. And they have... Start cranking out one arms. 
yeah, babies and young people, they'll like play with their fingers and toes. They'll be grasping at things. They'll, they'll hold on and touch and grab and, and they'll like start to climb a little bit. Just like when you put a baby in the pool, it'll, it knows how to swim naturally. And climbing is, is unique in that way in that it's so natural to us as people. So if we treat climbing as just a sport and plant that seed early on in, in youth climbers, then a lot is lost again in kind of what it means to be a climber and what it means to be a human being and how deeply intertwined those things are. Yeah. Dude, do you think there's doping in rock climbing? Um, there should be. <laughs> like, what is taking steroids? Doesn't taking steroids give you mass and make you gain weight? So I have personally never used steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. I have used creatine. I mean, honestly, I think that's extremely helpful. And that's not a steroid, so... I don't feel bad at all about telling people <laughs> they can use it. But uh, I mean, like you can find drugs to do most. Any, I mean, like the most common one that people use is just testosterone or most performance games drugs are just a derivative of testosterone where they take out the basically the, the sex hormone side. So anything that causes like a deepening voice or hair loss or something like that and just gives you the anabolic part. So just the muscle growth. So from my understanding, how it works is it can either increase your recovery ability or simultaneously also increase your, your ability to build muscle mass. Yeah. But the testosterone is a big part of that. And so people that dope for sports will normally just try to maintain an unnaturally high level of testosterone. Hmm. I have a very elementary understanding of this. It's not. <laughs> Same. I, I, I really do not uh, espouse myself to have any... <laughs> like deep understanding of how steroids or how hormones work. Yeah. There's a bunch of genetic differences between men and women, but men do carry higher amounts of testosterone and more testosterone is generally associated with a number of factors, including physiological advantages. Yeah. Also violence and hair loss. Okay. I, I just, <laughs> sometimes I'll get comments on my, youtube videos and they're like oh she's clearly taking steroids it's so obvious <laughs> and i'm just like that's a really nice thing to say i'm like wow i mean yeah i'll take it as a compliment but with climbers our bodies are so like muscular and fit and it's like i don't know i read that stuff and i just have to laugh i don't get that self-conscious because truly i i just haven't heard of anyone taking steroids for, for the benefit of climbing. I would say it maybe would be similar to like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which as a sport also is one where people say like, oh, like steroids, like it's not going to help you in this. Like it's not helpful. Like BJJs, yo. Yo, yo. yo, yo. What's hanging? Good. How are you? Yeah. Found the You found the zone. Yes. Dude, I love the joke. I was going to say the joke. Look at this denim tote bag. Uh, That's sick. Did you make that? No, I wish. Yeah, I wish. That'd be sick. That'd be amazing. It's, it's your kitty. It's your cat's name. This is Charlie. Hi, Charlie. She's a little kitty. You're a lover. Hi. Put a book. Ooh, which book? It's Meditations. It's by. Uh, Wait, is it uh, Marcus Aurelius? Yeah. <laughs> 
I have that in my backpack right really? now. Really? Yeah. Damn, I should have just yeah. asked you. Fuck. Which, uh, I, I was kind of speaking over uh, which one to get, which translation. Dude, I have the exact same. Do you have the exact one? one? Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought that. It looks like <laughs> I'm pretty psyched up on it so far, though. Damn, I want to get a copy. Hey, shit, it's pretty angry so far. Um, Joe, you got a lot to say right now. You gotta have been reading about stoicism too. Wow. That's a good one though. We're doing a a bad kitty episode. It's my podcast. Oh nice. You doing that right now? <laughs> yeah. We're just like yeah. conversing. Actually, you might know more about this. Have you do you know of anyone that has do you know of any doping in climbing or anyone that's doped? For the listeners, we've had a we have a surprise guest on board. We've got Sean Bailey <laughs> up. on the pod. <laughs> Is this a good spot? You think? Yeah, it's fine. Um, no, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't think anyone's doing it yet. Or if they are, they're not doing it super well. Because I think that you got a lot of strong folks, but no one is so far above that. I'd be like that. That seems unnatural. Yeah. Like you wouldn't, I don't know if you could see it visually or if it would be like everyone that's I don't think at, you would see it visually. Right. But if, if someone random, the other thing about climbing is you kind of build up your record and your accomplishments. And so if someone, if someone that you'd never heard of had, that hadn't done anything else was suddenly winning all the world cups or like climbing all the nine A's, that would seem suspicious. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I figure probably someone has messed around with it, but maybe not at the highest level or, yeah, I don't know. It also like calls into question like how much it would help, you know, because if it made you like five, 10 percent better, you would you would notice that in someone for sure. You'd yeah. be like, wow, they are a freak. Mm -hmm. I think that if it can help, it certainly will help. And if it can help, then people will use it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd imagine it definitely does help. Yeah, it's I probably mean, pretty dope. was the only sport that steroids didn't help. <laughs> yeah, you, right. you think if it did help, people would use it? Yes. I hope not. Well, because um, I think of cycling. Well, I think what I think actually is maybe the best argument for making steroids illegal is that they conducted a study once where they went to a bunch of young athletes, like people at the top of their game that were competing, and they asked them, okay, if you could take this pill right now, that would make you a champion, but you will die at 40. Would you take it? And it was an overwhelming majority said yes. Interesting. How young were these? Twenty people that are young enough to be competing in the sport. Yeah, young enough to think that forty is old. <laughs> like my life is over at forty anyways. So fuck it. Fuck it. Toss me the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Just put me out to pasture. Yeah. Damn. Well, it's, it's really a bummer that it it. Uh, affects you that negatively you know like if it didn't affect you at all that'd be pretty awesome like be pretty sick to see how far you could take the bod <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know like what like what would the level be you know it'd be pretty crazy not condoning it seems like pretty detrimental <laughs> for health that's the main thing <laughs> Yes, detrimental for health, but also like if let's say the 18 or 19 were accomplished, but only through steroids, what would that mean for climbing and human ability? Would it still be legit? 
It would still be legit. I think it would just be unfortunate because it would mean that that was like a prerequisite to climb as hard as possible, which that's the downside. It's yeah. like if you want to harm your own health, I personally have no qualms with that. Like do whatever you want. But if it pushes the level of the sport and then that becomes the norm, it's kind of fucked up to force everyone else to also harm their health just to be at the top level. But at the end of the day, I also feel like, you know, whatever grade you're at, it's the same, climbing's the same experience. So really the only reason, I mean, maybe it'd be to better yourself, but I feel like it'd mostly be to get ahead of other people, which is like kind of whack too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess, yeah, even if you took steroids, you'd probably still just be following your project. It would just be a harder project. Yeah. Exactly. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm just working on the lower start to sleepwalker. <laughs> yeah. And like the holds just get smaller and less comfortable, you know? Like I feel like there's a point where like the enjoyment factor goes down. So. I mean, it just hasn't gone down yet. That's true. That's true. V19, though, man, I heard it's not fun to climb on. They might have said that in the 90s about V50. That's true. <laughs> they might not be wrong. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I think about cycling and how all of the races and all the top performers have, I don't know, they're all doping to the point where they can't ever really top that. Uh-huh. And it would suck to see climbing go that direction. Have you ever seen a list of all the fastest 100-meter dash times and then also all the fastest 100-meter dash times with people that have never been popped for steroid usage. Usain Bolt is the only person that stays. Wow. What a legend. <laughs> At least so far. Yeah. I think they have the same at the Tour de France. Like, if you look at a list of anyone that's been successful, like, they've all been popped at some point for the most part, I think, which is pretty interesting. Do you think it's mostly because of financial... Like, what's the incentive? Do you think it's personal performance I don't, I don't or financial? financial? I mean, like, what, what strives someone to be the best? I feel like it's almost, it's very rarely money. Yeah, I, like I agree even, with that. Even people that are insanely rich, like, I don't think it's money that drives them to be, like, their thing that they want to be the best at is, like, winning or business or mono having a monopoly. And I don't think it's money. So it's passion, you think? Yeah, it's yeah. Not passion. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <sighs> Should we do listener questions? Sure. Do we want to keep talking about doping? <laughs> Did I, I come in too hot there? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. That was perfect. I love that. Okay. We're starting off with some listener submissions. And uh, first question up is, does a guy or girl have to climb at a certain grade or higher for you to consider dating them? No. Why? It doesn't really change the effect on my life so much because... I mean, at the risk of sounding like an asshole here, it's I'm pretty much guaranteed to date a girl that's uh, weaker than me, and also almost certainly guaranteed to date a girl that's much weaker than me. Um, so, I mean, they're just extremely unlikely to be trying the same climbs as me, and it's almost certainly going to be in a separate area. The, the amount difference has almost no effect on the fact that I still need to go to a different climb. So no matter the grade, if she's climbing like V3, V4... Or even doesn't climb at all. Would well, you do doesn't it? climb at all actually might be the best because then they just go to my project only. <laughs> Sean? I don't know. Uh, I don't think it matters, really. No. I think no matter what. I think I'd rather date someone that climbs because they have a, an understanding of it. 
And if they have as much like passion for it as I do, then we'd have a deeper understanding of each other. So I normally like trend towards, I mean, I'm, I just like people like that either way, guy or girl, but yeah, no, I don't think it matters too much. Just happens to be normally date climbers. Yeah. I sort of answered this on my last episode, but basically at this point in my life, I'd rather date a non-climber because someone that doesn't climb is ideally an athlete of a different sort they ha- or they have their own passion, their own thing that they're really absorbed in. And I want to support and hear about that passion because it's not climbing related. Like I like talking about stuff that's not climbing. And so to date someone like that would be really interesting. And then if I dated someone who was weaker than me, I just like, I want to go to my projects and I want to do what I want to do in my climbing. And I don't really want to give that up. (laughs) Maybe it's like fucked up to say right now, but like, it's just where I'm at. I like wouldn't date someone who was a beginner or even intermediate or just like didn't Man, have- not even intermediate <laughs> or advanced. I don't know. <laughs> I would not date an advanced climber. Stop saying this. <laughs> I don't want to date a beginner because I have to date a Gumby. I don't want to date an intermediate because they want to go with their projects, and I don't want to date an advanced person because they're better than me. I don't want to. <laughs> I can't date a Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were we going to talk about the Gumby conversation? How did we even get into that? Oh, if whether climbing was inclusive or not. That could be an interesting... Okay, generally, for the, for the group. Do you think climbing has become too inclusive? Mm, I think a tad, honestly. Just a tad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you define inclusive? Well, I think inclusive of like any identity personality that's how it should be for sure but uh i think we've become hyper inclusive to the point of like not sharing uh the climbing culture like what we know is the culture very well to people that are starting climbing so i think that kind of leads to some problems at the crag a lot of the time yeah i think that we have sort of trended towards inclusivity at the expense of all else so it's like inclusivity, inclusivity over everything. And inclusivity just means like getting someone in the gym for the first time and not really like welcoming people into the community or like trying to turn new people into climbers. We just turn new people like into someone that owns a pair of climbing shoes. Mm. So like what is the definition of a climber? I think just sort of like trying to bring more people into being culturally it could just be someone that identifies themselves as a climber or just someone that has like more of an understanding of like what the cultural entails or even a step more than that. It could just be someone that's like chill to hang out with like at the crag or at the rollers mm-hmm. or at the gym. Yeah. And then kind of, so let's say someone identifies themselves as a climber. I feel like there's, there's people that just join climbing and they're the newbies. They're noobs. They like don't really know any better. They're just kind of, bumbling around and it's fine because they don't know what they're doing. But at some point, a newbie becomes a climber and they also become a Gumby. Like everyone goes through their Gumby phase. You kind of have to. But at what point does someone not become a Gumby? And this this is sort of a two-part question. At at what point is a climber considered to be core? Because when you think about climbers, Tristan and I were talking about this earlier, like there's 
a lot of climbing brands and marketing campaigns or like the community in general, it seems like sometimes they're losing a sense of what core climbing is and speaking to that core climbing audience. So what is a core climber and how do they differentiate from like Gumby climbers or the rest of the climbing community at large? Mm. I mean, I, I would consider, I'd consider a core climber anyone that's focusing a good amount of their willpower into their climbing and putting the hours in. Like if that's the kind of the primary driver of your life, then you're a core climber in my mind. I'm not really sold on core necessarily being have to do with the amount of time someone puts into climbing or their skill level. I think it's just sort of like the mindset that someone brings to climbing in general. Like I think if if someone's attitude towards climbing is that they just like, oh, they want to have a good time and like go out and like maybe bring a hammock or like a beer and they're more focused on like the snacks aspect of their day out, then I would say that that person's not really so core. I mean, they could be doing that on their rest day or if you're just going out to hang out, then that's not really a big deal. It's not really a big deal either way. But if someone's like more like if their attention is more given like to the climb they want to do, it's like, okay, I want to. I like want to go out and I want to do like this climb and I'm excited to try it, looking forward to it, then I think that's more of like a core mindset. And I think to me, being a core climber is more to do with someone's mindset going into it and sort of less to do with the amount of time or effort or energy or money that they put into it. Like the, the open-mindedness or like willingness to shift and change themselves and learn and adapt? Sort of. I mean, like in the same way that someone could be a nerd or not be a nerd, someone could be really into comic books. They could be an engineer. They could read 15 book fantasy novels and they could still at the end of the day, not be a nerd. And someone also might necessarily not do all of the, those things. And they could be a nerd in the same way that you could do everything right as a climber, right in quotation marks and still be and still not be a core climber. And you could do everything wrong and still be a core climber. So I think it's much more to do with vibe and personality, mm. which maybe can be sort of a dangerous thing to say. Subje it can be subjective. Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think that when you think about yourself, you can definitely decide whether or not you are a core climber or not. Are climbing influencers core? Almost certainly not. <laughs> but do you think they would think of themselves as because by a lot of that definition which i think is a bit broad and vague right now you could argue that climbing influencers are core just because they spend time i think that if someone got mad at you for saying that you weren't a core climber then you're probably not a core climber because if someone was core they would just be like oh well that's bullshit Dude, I'd be kind of put off if someone told me I wasn't core. I'd be like, Would what? <laughs> no, of course not. But I'd be like, who are you? <laughs> I feel like you're talking about just core in general, though. Like, I think people that aren't core climbers but are core at something in the sense that they're really striving towards an objective. It's normally kind of what I think of core people generally you fuck with them because you're core at climbing. Yeah. So it's like, maybe they're not a core climber, but you just like see like, oh wow, they're like pretty core human. So I fuck with that. Okay, yeah, I think that probably mm. is maybe more of it. But core climber for me is like a little stricter definition, I feel like. You gotta be putting the time in. And it doesn't necessarily have to be climbing. Like it could be the art side, it could be videography, it could be photography, like whatever it may be. But there's people in this industry that I see as really core and it's always because 
they put the work in every day. Yeah, I think that's I think that's valid. So that there's like the difference between core and Gumby, and these are the more broad definitions, like Gumby being not willing to change their ways and and learn and and adapt themselves, whereas core people are just open and interested and willing to willing to grow. But I, I think Gumby comes from a bit of like being sort of naive, whether whether that's to like social faux pas or like generally understanding more about the culture. Well, it comes from that cartoon character. <laughs> the green Gumby. <laughs> like that's, that's the Gumby, like kind of dumb and moves moves all weird and just like... <laughs> dumb and moves all weird. <laughs> I could tell from the way you grab the hole. Yeah, you're Gumby. But, but you think everyone has a Gumby face? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Because at, at some point, because you, you don't go from like beginner, you don't go from noob to expert. You right. have to have that learning where you are kind of dumb and you move weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, well, for sure. That's true, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. When, when I think of Gumbies, I think less of like their climbing. Well, I mean, the, the climbing is its own thing for sure. But I think more about like, yeah, that that just lack of awareness, you know, that's what really gets me. Just not doing the things you're supposed to be doing at the crag. Like when I think Gumby, I think that person that's just, yeah, faux pas after faux pas. You're like, damn, what are you doing, um, dude? Like, that's not chill. <laughs> Like, I would say that being a Gumby is not exclusive to the lower grade ranges. And one of the ways that you can pick it out for someone that's stronger is that if they ask someone, like, either at a project or when they know they're going to the project, if, like, oh, is today the day that you send it? And I think that that's uh, a major... That's an unchill thing to say. Yeah, that's not a chill thing to say. Add stress. Yeah. It's a Gumby question, asking if someone's going to send. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it lacks little awareness of, like... Uh just how, how it works, you know, like <laughs> you're not just deciding a lot of the time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if everyone has a Gumby phase. Like Do you think you had a Gumby phase? Honestly, no, I, I don't. Cause, cause from the beginning I had a lot of mentors that I think were pretty dialed, but that was from when I was like 12, maybe before that I had a bit of a Gumby phase, I guess you could say, but Do you I was think like that they 10. Would say that you had a Gumby phase? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine they'd say that I was probably a Grom for sure, but I don't know if they'd say that I was a Gumby. Like just a, you know, Groms are Groms are kids, yeah. I feel like if you have like, you know, good mentors from the beginning, you might not ever really have a Gumby phase if someone's like instructing you kind of like, this is what you should be doing, this is what you shouldn't be doing, saying you're not making those mistakes all the time. Yeah. As kids, though, it, it helps to start early and, and go through. Like, you wouldn't call a, a kid a Gumby because they're kids. They're like Groms. But if, you're, if you start, like, late teens into your, and, and beyond, basically, and if you're an adult and you don't have quite as many mentors to teach those things to you, then you might end up in the Gumby phase. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It I think does. we saw a bunch of them out there the other day. At, uh, <laughs> in craft. Oh God! At the cube boulder. <laughs> I know it's, it's yeah, shocking. Eh? Big surprise. <laughs> that, honestly, that should be a job. Like maybe like the American Alpine Club could like pay pay a few people every day to go out to craft and just kind of like moderate the scene out there. <laughs> 
Oh my God. I had someone, I had someone message me on Instagram and if you're listening to this episode, I'm sorry for bringing this up, but I just thought it was so funny. He, he messaged me saying, Hey, like it was just, it was like kind of a dream come true to climb with you and Sean and Miho out at the boulders. Like just thanks for being out there. And I would have responded and been like, yeah, like th- thanks for saying something, blah, blah, blah. But I looked at the previous message and I had made this joke about replacing the word spray with squirt. Like, <laughs> oh, if you say instead of being a beta sprayer, you're like a beta squirter or you're climbing on like a squirt wall or something like that. It's just like kind of funny. And so I had this on my stories and this guy, his previous message had said to me, you can squirt on me anytime. <laughs> Yo. I was like, dude, what? I was like, I was like, I'm not going to answer any of this. this Damn. Not... Poor guy's looking for love out there. <laughs> it's not chill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Just don't be a Gumby. <laughs> Get some, uh, get get some advisors. Hit someone up at your gym that looks chill. Ask him for some help. Walk up to the chillest dude you know and just start chilling with him. <laughs> Tell it to me straight. Tell it to me straight. What am I doing wrong here? Is this chalk bag clipped to my belt loop with my carabiner a Gumby move? <laughs> Should it be a quick draw or a carabiner? What do you think? <laughs> Should be an alpine draw. That'd be- super high you can make it a little longer if you need to strap it over the shoulder <laughs> let's do a couple more which ones do you think out of these i've been jumping around a bit how do you handle experienced climbers who ignore climbing etiquette either in the gym or outside for example uh this climber says one of their pet peeves is climbers that don't brush holds or climbers that jump in your project right after you've brushed without asking yeah how do you confront like experienced climbers that do this i've been trying to be more confrontational in my life so i would say that i would politely but firmly tell them to stop doing what they were doing or if like climbers that never brush the holds or cut in line <laughs> one of my friends told me that this happens semi-recently to them with a kind of a younger climber but a very strong climber that was like man i feel like this climb just never needs to be brushed and the like they were just like between their what or they were asked like how often do you like brush holds on a climb and the person they said to it was a little bit flabbergasted and was just like after every attempt man what are you talking about literally no scenario (laughs) where a climb would never need to be brushed I think it's very situational. Depends on the age. If they're young, maybe they need a little instruction still. If they're older, uh, there's not much you can do. They've probably been in the game for a super long time, and they're probably stuck in their ways. You know, like every crag's got those those dudes or chicks like that older crew that's like, ah, hey, you just kind of let them do their thing. Ooh, what if a barefoot climber rolled up? Like, what if this person is affecting you? in that moment in a way that's like like that's so annoying aren't you chill with a barefoot climber me yeah uh i mean yeah i guess it doesn't probably bother me that much they're leaving toe prints on your holds toe prints oh, and so they're not like a barefoot trial situation where no, no are they no. chalking their feet that's kind of the big thing they're not yeah. chalking their feet that's yeah not, not cool. chalking the feet okay well <laughs> There's one of those at Craft, actually, the other <laughs> there day. There was that dude. Oh, my God. Um, did he climb the whole thing? I, I didn't see it. I don't think so. <laughs> that dude was pretty funny. He saw me do the thing in my in my street shoes. It was a 
pretty chill like warm up high ball thing so i was not so uncomfortable doing it he saw me do it he goes oh man well if that guy can do it in his street shoes i'm sure i can do it barefoot and then like 15 minutes later he hadn't done it and i i overheard him he like takes the pad away and i hear him say like yeah you know sometimes i just climb better without a pad because i can't fall and i'm like Oh no, dude! This guy's barefoot and craft without pads under him on a high fall. This is like not a good situation right now. But what are you gonna do? Like you can't even say anything in that situation. You just gotta let him, let him be. You know? Yeah. You just let people do their thing, and they're gonna learn one way or another. But if it's affecting you in that moment, like if that guy was on your project, leaving toe prints, not brushing the holds, it's like, um. Can you chalk your feet? <laughs> or like, can you... I would get a little like confrontational in a way that was not polite because I would be annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I, I'm trying to get better at being like an ambassador, I feel like, because I think that's what's missing right now in climbing. So I, I generally, when I'm at the crag, try to be as helpful as possible. And if someone seems to be doing something really close to me in a way that it affects me, that's not the right move, I, I try to instruct them. And a lot of times, like normally, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty down with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're like, well, nothing you can do. But yeah. you were gonna say something earlier. Oh, back to the inclusivity thing. I saw a video on Instagram of this kid trying to do white Rastafarian in J Tree. It's a V1. It's kind of high wall, and he had been like projecting white Rastafarian, and then he he like finally got through the crux, which is like partway through the climb, and is kind of like big reach thing, and then you get to like a jug, and you have to top out. And I'm not really sure how hard the mantle is, but I can't imagine it's harder than like V3. And he gets there and he tries to do the top out. He doesn't do it. And he tries again. And he doesn't do it. And he's like, okay. And he goes to hang and drop, but he doesn't quite solidify the hang before dropping. And he just sort of like lets go from an like unstabilized position on the hold. Like he, he doesn't like stop swinging and he falls and he sort of falls like this like in midair like kind of weird and he lands wrong and he breaks his back oh, and no, you can dude. hear it and the, <sighs> the, the, the reel had like 500,000 views or like some absurd amount. He um, made it. He posted it yeah. and it was like I'm gonna go back for my like all time prods or something like that and I remember I saw like one comment from a climber that I knew that was just like lol and then like <laughs> I saw that too <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm remembering this one now. <laughs> yeah. that was a uh... Um, and, then pretty good the rest, and then the rest of the comments were just like split 50 50 of people being like man you you guys need to be nice with this guy you can't be like shitting on him for this stuff and everyone else being like oh my god like fucking idiot <laughs> but the thing is that i saw that and i was like i i hate to say it but i think that climbing is maybe not the sport for this kid <laughs> yeah it was pretty it was pretty high up the pad looked like the angle looked a little bit weird. I've never actually seen this climb in person, so I don't know what the angle is like. It's pretty straight up and down. Like he was definitely hanging on a jug and just had to like hold there for a second so he wasn't <laughs> swinging and then let go. And he didn't do that. Damn. Well, I'm sure he learned his lesson though. You know? I don't know. He didn't because he was like, "I'm gonna go back for it." Well, but he might like fall a little more yeah maybe that that, that's true true education (laughs) is messing up and and learning from your mistakes and going back and so if he sometimes when a mistake is bad (laughs) enough it's indicative that the activity (laughs) is not for you (laughs) 
if someone shoots themselves in the foot with a gun, I don't think you should be like, oh, well, let's teach them how to use guns better. They'd be like, they should learn how to use guns you, better. No, no, no. I'm, I totally disagree with this. <laughs> Side note, though, remember when we were climbing in Lincoln and I was trying that V10 and I was topping out? Um, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> horrifying. What's the name of that climb? Sparrowhawk. Yeah, I was trying this V10 called Sparrowhawk and did not do the top out ahead of time and was cruxing out and was really pumped and knew that I didn't have it. And so I just let go thinking that the pad was below me, but I had traversed and like hadn't really thought about like the whole, you know, it, so like there's so many holes in Lincoln uh -huh. and I felt, and Tristan is videoing me and I, I like just let go thinking the pad was there and fell into this pit, just like no pads. <laughs> and it was so limbs askew all over the place, like crumpled into this hole. And it was probably the worst bouldering fall I've taken in a while. I didn't get hurt or anything, but I was very embarrassed. I left my dignity in that <laughs> hole. <laughs> and there's video. Oh, it's a bad fall. Digger vids. Yeah. I did not go back and finish that climb. Wait, did I? No, you didn't go back. No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> didn't do it. Couldn't even do it. Well, I support that guy for trying to go back and do it better. At the very least, I think he shouldn't go back to a high ball. I think he should. I think he should learn how to fall. Would you tell his mother that? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he's got to get his dignity back. Just like I have to get my dignity out of that pit in Lincoln. That's true. You gotta. You need that redemption arc, you know? Yeah. You gotta give him that. <laughs> I, I actually have a question for you, Nina. Right. This is kind of bringing it around. To the Gumby question, we were thinking about stronger Gumbies. I noticed last time I was in Bishop, people are psyched on the highballs right now, mm. uh, which is cool. But you see a lot of people on the rope that are clearly pretty in over their head. Like, in my mind, probably shouldn't be trying that thing. If they're not on a rope, it's a dangerous situation. What's your thoughts on that coming from like a highball climber? And also, after having just said that this kid that broke his back on the climb should go back to that same <laughs> Well, it sounds like he should maybe try it on a rope first. <laughs> <laughs> like I am, I am in full support of people trying things on a rope. For a long time, there was the ground up ethic, which I, I also respect. People want to do the ground up experience. That's also really badass. Um, but for me, highballing has always been about that sense of control and knowing what to expect and knowing I can execute even under like those kinds of circumstances. So, I mean, if people are feeling empowered enough to get on a rope and try climbs, great. But there's that point of decision-making where, okay, do I feel ready enough to get on this climb and do it without a rope? And if they're not doing the moves on a rope, and if they're like, all right, time to get on it without a rope, that's totally delusional. Where, do you think, so you saw people on a rope, these Gumbies, but then did you see the, ever see them off the rope? Uh, no, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm down for people to just go for it. I personally like controlled risk, like I don't like uncontrolled risk, but it definitely comes into question whether like they're making good judgment calls on what controlled risk is, you know, that's. That's the question for me, I guess. But Can yeah, I didn't see anything super sketch. I was just saw a few people working some stuff where I was like, man, if you go for that, that's going to be spicy for sure. 
<laughs> you are not looking solid. Can someone take a controlled risk if they have no experience? No, I don't think so. That comes from experience for sure. Yeah. Part of being on the rope is, is that experience building. So yeah, I'd agree. Psyched for them. All right. Well, I want to wrap up this episode by asking a question. So like part of the bad kitty vibe is like communication and social interactions and like specifically awkward social interactions or conflicts or like things that you've seen at the crag or experienced yourself that are just like messed up or like funny in some way. So I want both of you to tell me about some kind of awkward interaction you've had climbing or non-climbing, but like some funny, like weird, awkward interaction that you've engaged in and how it turned out. I had one time where I was at a project of mine and the project sits in close proximity to a very popular climb. Right. It's, it's a very popular V6 and the six also has a low start. And uh, this time I was there and there was a group of people trying the six and then they had one friend that was trying low start. So he started by shuffling everyone off of the six who I assumed they were his friends. So I was like, okay, that seemed a little abrupt, but no big deal. And then he eventually like he moves the pads and he like just points to one of the people in the group and he's like okay like when i get here you need to move the pad there i'm like watching this whole thing happen and then he like pulls on he gets through the the v10 section and he gets into the six and he's like resting out on the on this like jug sequence and he, he's climbing through the six and he's doing it with terrible beta and then he, he falls on the v6 part he lands and he waits a second and then he screams fuck really really loudly and he throws his chalk bag across the crag and i'm watching it and the whole time I've just been like in awe of this guy because he's climbing with sunglasses on in a cave and socks on. <laughs> and when he threw his chalk bucket, I started laughing and I had to leave. And then it was like, okay, like no big deal. And then the guy came back like an hour later to give another attempt. And he did like the whole secret, the whole thing again, socks on, sunglasses on, telling his friend to move the pads exactly for him, doing the, the top of his climb with bad beta. And then he was resting on a jug in the middle of the climb. He had already like put his chalk bag under it and he couldn't reach it. And his friend went unbidden, went and picked up the chalk bag for his friend to chalk up. And as he was chalking up on it, he was like, higher, like so aggressively. <laughs> Yikes. And then he didn't send. Dang. <laughs> he didn't send. Serious projector. What's the moral to that story in your mind? It was not to take yourself too seriously. I'm trying to think. I don't have any good ones from recent memory. Uh, you know, normally you think more pads is always better, but I was at a boulder that had a low start and a higher start, and crews just kept coming to try the higher start while we were on the low start. Um, and you know, we had, at first we had like three pads, not quite enough. And then we had like eight pads, more than enough. And crews just kept coming and tossing pads down. They were like, hey, do you guys want some more pads? We're like, ah, I don't know. I think we're good. And boom, they toss it on. <laughs> and every single time it was like super haphazard. And there was like holes, like three to four pads deep, just these like death traps all over that I'm like maneuvering every time more pads come in. And we get to this point where there's probably a six pad stack under this boulder. It was it was hilarious, but yeah, moral of the story, when you place your pads, make sure there aren't cracks, cause like you're gonna break your shit for <laughs> sure. 
it's no good. It's a little sketch to see all these folks like, oh yeah, we got a lot of pads, we're good. And then you're like looking around and there's like death traps everywhere. You know? Yeah, there's such a thing as too many pads. For sure. You don't need to put your pads down if there's enough pads. I had one time a guy put a pad down on a climb while I was like mid-attempt and I didn't know. So then when I fell, I like stepped back and tripped over the pad because I didn't know it was there. Dang. <laughs> Tabletopped I, yourself. <laughs> I have been in the opposite situation though, where I like I've been at a group or out of Boulder, and there haven't been enough pads, and then people roll up and they just like don't open their pads or they don't offer their pads, or maybe they just start climbing on my pads and they don't open up their pads, and I'm like, God, and I'll be like, oh, can we can we use these? Like, can we open them? So just ask, like, ask if anyone needs more pads. If the answer is no, great, but otherwise, open them up. Cool. Well, thank you, Tristan and Sean, for joining Bad Kitty Podcasts. That's it for episode number two. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Tune in whenever I get the next episode up. But uh, always grateful to have you here. And thanks for listening to Bad Kitty. Sweet. That's sick. Did you make that?